St. Leo 360, a 360 degree overview of the St. Leo University community. Hello and welcome to another episode of the St. Leo 360 podcast. My name is Greg Lindbergh. Here on this episode of St. Leo 360, we are featuring a recording from a recent Leaders in the Industry webinar series event that we held. And this event was titled Strengthening Police and Community Partnerships. And so the featured guest of this event was Tara Woods, who is a longtime member of the Ocala, Florida Police Department and also a double alumna of St. Leo University, where she earned a bachelor's degree in criminology, as well as a master's degree in criminal justice. I should also mention that this event was put on by Career Services and the Ocala, Florida Education Center here at St. Leo. And the facilitator was Nancy Cheek, who is the associate director of worldwide student life here at St. Leo. So let's go ahead and turn things over now to Tara Woods, who will first start off with a nice overview of her career in law enforcement and specifically with the Ocala, Florida Police Department. Tara. I started with the Ocala Police Department in 1990 um, as a civilian and the position at the time was titled Community Service Officer. Um, Today, they're titled Community Service Specialist. The job's the same, they just changed the title. And basically that job, um, we did everything um, that you did not need, we would say a police officer for, because we didn't have any arrest powers, but we investigated um, traffic accidents, we worked missing persons, um, we worked, stolen tags, pretty much anything that you didn't need a police officer for, which when I decided to go to patrol in 1996, it became very easy for me because basically I had learned A, how to navigate through the city, um, B, pretty much how to write reports. I just did not know the arrest side of the police job. So when I made the decision in 1996 um, to go to the law enforcement um, police academy, um, my then chief, which would have been Chief Maury Dean, he said to me, I believe we have a cops grant and I believe we can send you to school if you're really interested in going. Absolutely. So I um, I had the ability to go to school through a COPS grant. So it cost me zero dollars to attend the academy. And the guys, um, they were great. Um, The range masters and everyone, they helped me um, to do everything that I needed to do to be successful in the police academy. So once I finished the academy, um, you automatically go and you work what we call um, the road patrol. And basically some call it a street cop. So I was assigned to our West District um, and I worked the midnight shift. Um, I was there for about a year and basically anything that you needed a police officer for, um, that was my job. Probably around the end of 1997, I was approached by the chief, Maury Dean, because a vacancy became available at one of our middle schools for a school resource officer. And he asked, um, by chance, was I interested in 
becoming a school resource officer. I'm like, absolutely. So I applied for the position and um, I became the school resource officer for Howard Middle School. At that time, I did a number of jobs. They kind of chuckled because um, they ended up dedicating their yearbook to me because not only did I do um, the police duties at the school, uh, I was a part of their hair and nail club. I actually ran the pom-pom squad (laughs) after school as an after-school activity for the girls. I was a part of their choir. And while working at the school, I remember the principal, Mr. Scott Hackmeyer, he came to me and he said, Officer Woods, um, I need to meet meet with you about something. I said, absolutely. So I go into the principal's office and he tells me this story. He says, you know, um, we have some kids. um, They finished whatever project they were supposed to do. And by accomplishing that, they were awarded a limousine ride. Um, to Olive Garden and they get to bring their favorite teacher. I'm like, oh, okay. Um, what day are they going? Did you need me to go with them? He says, it's unheard of. They're asking you, the police, to come with them. I'm like, oh my goodness, how nice. So I was selected over the school staff to go with them to Olive Garden. And everybody know uh, my school kids, they were all my babies. Um, I loved each and every one of them. They would come into campus and there would be days that on the weekend when Mondays would come, if there was something that they needed to share, they would always come and share it. And what I learned from working on the campus, I was there for three school terms. And then I was approached by Chief Graham at the time, he was the major over investigations. And he said to me, have you ever thought about going to investigations? And I said, "Mm, not really, but that sounds interesting. And he was like, I think you should put in for it. Like, okay. So at that point, so that brings us to um, 2000. So at that point, I decided, um, okay, so I put in for investigations and I became a property crimes detective. Well, while doing property crimes, I mean, we investigated burglary autos, auto thefts, commercial burglaries, um, and then we, the officers would generate the reports and we would be required to, to figure out the who done it. After working as a property crimes detective, I then moved into white collar crimes, which were what we called our frauds and forgeries. Um, And at that time, it was the onset of where um, people was doing identity theft was just starting to become as big as it is now. So it was at the early stages. And we would have people that we call it white washing checks. They would grab a check and they would literally make fake IDs um, to go uh, cash these checks. So that was pretty interesting because I got to learn something new because it was new. And we had to figure out how we were going to um, solve those crimes. But quickly, uh, we learned what we needed to do to kind of get some grasp on those crimes in our community. So that was very interesting. And I really enjoyed it because I learned a lot when um, white collar crimes, um, the frauds and the forgeries, um, which I always tell people, they ask, how do you safeguard yourself? Basically, you do the best that you can to secure your information and not share it as much as, um, as much as possible unless you know who you're sharing it with. But the true answer is, can you really safeguard yourself? The answer would be no. You just do the best that you can. 
So while working frauds and forgeries, I get a call from um, the then major Smith who said, um, Denas told me, um, you're going to work major crimes. Okay, what am I going to work? Homicides and robberies. So I'm like, okay, absolutely. So um, this is a cute story. And I'll tell, I'll tell this because it was pretty um, cute during the time. So we have my, I have my first homicide that I'm supposed to be investigating. So um, they tell me, oh, you're not going to get the gun. The people are not going to call you. But after working at the school, I tell everybody, when I became a detective, I didn't do well because I was a great detective. I did well because I had made a lot of good connections and the people trusted me and they would share a lot of good information with me, which helped me close my cases. So long story short, so we go to the, my first um, autopsy and um, we leave. And so the guy that was training me, he's like, you did very well. You passed the test. I said, I didn't know this was a test. He said, absolutely. We didn't know how you would act at the autopsy. So we're pretty glad that you were able to, to um, stand everything that you had to witness. So I worked those cases for a few years and I did robberies um, as well, which included the bank robberies, regular street robberies and all of that stuff. And at the time, um, in the city of Ocala, we were also responsible for responding to every death investigation um, in the city. So we had, to, I had the opportunity to, to do that as well. While working the homicides and robberies in 2005, I get a call um, to the chief's office and he tells me that he's promoting me to sergeant. Uh, we had just taken the um, the assessment center to become promoted and I was on the list. So therefore I was eligible. Um, so at that time I decided that I was going to do it. Well, while working as a detective, I also decided that I was going to go back to school and obtain my bachelor's degree. And St. Leo actually brought that program to us. So at this time, while working as a detective prior to promotion, I obtained my bachelor's degree. I then get promoted in 2005 to sergeant. And of course, once you get promoted, you go directly back to the road and you become a road sergeant um, where you have six or seven officers um, assigned to you. And you got your job is to basically supervise them and assist them in making great decisions and make sure that they're not violating um, anybody's rights and that they're making lawful arrests. So while working um, patrol, I was in patrol for about a year as a patrol sergeant. Then I received a phone call that they're sending me back to major crimes. And at that point, I'm now the major crime supervisor. So the job that I was doing, now I'm supervising that unit. Um, and that was a great experience as well. Um, the state attorney's office, um, they were very grateful in some of the things that we were doing at the time that made it easy for them and the people in our community. One was as the supervisor of that unit, I had made the decision that if we had a homicide, um, we would call all the family in and we would tell them what the police department's doing, where we're at in the case, so that they didn't feel as if um, they were left out or we're not, we didn't care about their loved one. And the state thought that was like a great thing for our for us to implement at that time. So of course, while I'm working in major crimes as a supervisor, I then get the phone call that they're sending me to MADIT, which is Multi-Agency Drug Enforcement Team. Um, that was the drug unit. 
So um, I get that phone call and I'm going to be honest, I was not happy because A, I did not put in to go to the drug unit and B, I believe that I was doing a good job where I was. And so the state attorney's office, um, the deputy chief, they all tried to save me from going to the drug unit um, to keep me in the the position of uh, major crimes. But the chief at the time said, nope, I need her at the drug unit. So of course I go over to the drug unit. And when I get there, he basically tell me, well, you'll know I sent you there when you get there. And I like telling this story because they ended up teaching it in one of the ethics classes um, through um, in Jacksonville. So we're working and one day I actually, as a young supervisor in the unit, um, I see something and I said, you're not, you can't do that. And of course they looked at me like, okay, she's kidding, right? No, I'm not kidding. So long story short, it was an ethical dilemma for me, but I made the right decision. Um, and from that point on, I was told um, that the guys, they started transitioning into more of a different type of officer, which was the mission for them sending me over to the unit. Um, at the end of the day, we ended up really um, developing some great partnerships um, and respect for one another in the unit. It was rough. My first six months, it was rough, but after a while, um, it all worked out. I just always tell young supervisors, you gotta stay the course and stay true to what you believe. If you do that, then you're gonna be okay because um, doing the right thing usually always weighs out um, to the best. So while working as the sergeant in the drug unit, the commander position becomes vacant. So I then become the temporary commander for the unit. So I was the temporary commander for about six months until they um, got a new captain in the unit. So I'm still a sergeant at this point. Um, so then I get another phone call and I know this is recorded and all of this is the truth. I get another phone call that you're being sent over to youth development. Didn't put in for that job either. But what I learned, and I'll tell anybody this, um, always take the jobs that you're offered because in the long run, you never know where the road is going to end. And what I learned throughout my career, each one of those positions became critical when I became the major. So take all the jobs that nobody else want to take, and it just helps develop you into being a better supervisor. At least that was my experience. So I'm working in youth development. Um, so while working in youth development, which um, is, I guess, youth development is where we, at that time, we had crime prevention, we had all the school resource officers, we had these school crossing guards, um, and I was responsible for um, supervising all of them. And while supervising that unit, um, I had made the decision to go back and at this point, obtain my master's. Um, so I was working on my master's while working as a sergeant in youth development, then I get promoted to watch commander, which is what we call um, our patrol lieutenants. And that was in 2011. So while working um, in 2011, at that time we had a chief, which was Chief Williams. Um, so I'm working the patrol as the watch commander. And basically you're the highest ranking officer out on the night shift because everybody else is asleep. So all the decisions and the burdens um, lay, um, re you're responsible for. 
So in 2011, I worked the road for about a year as the watch commander. Um, and then in 2012, we get a new chief, which is Chief Greg Graham, who years ago was our deputy chief, but he had taken another job, but now he's back and he's the chief. So he then moved me to special operations to become the special operations commander. Um, and that job, basically you're over um, the canines, um, the traffic unit, the community service specialists. Um, we have what's called the city watch. Um, all of those are under your command. So basically my job, oh, and you're responsible for all of the critical incidents in the city. So um, that was a great position. And I learned a lot while working in special operations. So we're at 2013. So in 2014, um, I get promoted to captain. He leave me in um, special operations for about two months because we have a captain that's running our West District um, retiring. I then um, get transferred to run and take command over our West District. And at that point, I'm responsible for the entire West District of Ocala and ensuring that um, the crime is under control. Um, I'm responsible for all of the officers that are assigned to that area, um, the budgets, uh, pretty much you name it. If it happens in your district, you're responsible for it. Um, and I learned a lot as well during, during that job um, that prepared me for the next position, which was major. So in 2016, I got promoted to the rank of major. Um, at that time, I was the community policing major, which basically I was responsible for all uniformed personnel. That was a big task. I always chuckle when I tell this story because um, each time they promote a new major, I always tell them, yeah, but remember I was the major whenever we had this huge incident where um, the chief and some things happened in the organization, but I was responsible for the people that was left in the um, command after that incident. Um, and during that time, I also had a shooting at the hospital. And then I had an officer involved shooting um, at one of our hotels and we had a hurricane. So I tell them, can you top those four things? And they always chuckle and they're like, we hope we don't. <laughs> so that was a, that was a great experience. But when you're working as the bureau head, basically you're responsible for a captain, you have lieutenants assigned to you, and you have a number of sergeants that's under, under your, your command. And you're basically responsible for ensuring that each of them are doing what they're supposed to be doing to ensure that your bureau is functioning properly. After um, being the patrol major, I then go back and become the special operations bureau head. Um, and I've already explained basically what that job was. And to finish off my career um, in 2021, I was in investigations um, as, the, as the investigative bureau major. Um, so I retired from being the major and the police department on the sworn side. January the 30th of 2021, I, after being retired, I then returned back for sergeant and lieutenant. So basically in our, in our department in 2005, when I um, 
was promoted to the rank of sergeant. Um, in history, I was the first African-American female to be, to be promoted to that rank. And then in 14, I was the first African-American female to be promoted to the rank of, I mean, in 11, to lieutenant. And then again in 14, to captain. And then again in 16, to major. So I picked first in line because to me, I just feel honored that I had the ability um, to become the first in line. I didn't do it to be the first in line, but it happened that way. And I never even thought about it until others brought it to my attention once I started um, um, moving through the ranks. And for me, being first in line, it just gives everybody an opportunity to know that anything you set your heart on, if you believe that you can do it, you really can. And I always tell them that it's not without work, it's going to take a little bit of work um, to get it done. But if you believe it, I just always believe that that you can do it. And I pride myself in um, being able to um, say that I was the first to achieve all of those levels. And that's where I was going to say I always try to encourage others um, take that step, you know, um, because I would love for one day for wherever there's a first, there's got to be a second. So I, I would love to see, or in my lifetime, there be a second black female major. Sarah also spoke about how she was first introduced to St. Leo University, as well as how her two degrees from St. Leo have benefited her in her career. Okay, so let's start with the first. Um, having them come to the Ocala Police Department and present the program um, made it so uh, um, accessible to all of us. Um, I believe it started off with about 15 of us and we would leave work each day and we would go um, back to the main building and St. Leo would send a professor um, to come and teach whatever class we were taking. Um, so that made it really easy for us um, to do. And then after, um, we had taken all of the classes that we could at the building, then the, the online opportunity became available. So for me, it was it was great that A, they brought the program to us and made it easy um, for those of us that work all day um, to get a, the education um, that's necessary um, by making it convenient to us. And you asked um, how did it play into advancing uh, my career? So Years ago, under Chief William, he believed in education and he would always say, we will never have a commanding officer in this organization that did not have a bachelor's or master's. And if you're going to be moving up in this organization, it was recommended that you obtain those things. So um, because I am a little competitive, just a little bit, when I decided to get my master's, it was like I was getting my master's in secret because I didn't broadcast it <laughs> because uh, when it became time for um, the captain position, um, I kind of heard that people had stopped going to school. I'm like, mm -mm. one thing about education and I tell everybody one thing about education, no matter what, people could take titles positions, whatever, but they can never take that education away from you. So we go to school for ourselves to make ourselves better. Um, but in this instant, whenever it was time to be promoted to captain, um, the chief said to me, I'm promoting you to captain uh, because you have your master's and I'm promoting 
the other person to captain because tomorrow morning was that person's graduations and he's obtaining his bachelor's. So um, at the time, would I have gotten promoted, whether I had it or not? I don't know, but I know two things. One, taking all of the positions um, that was offered to me, whether I put in for them or not, um, helped in the process of determining whether or not I was prepared. Because at that point in my career, um, if on paper, compared to everyone else that was applying, I had served in more positions um, and would have been qualified to become the captain. And then the education actually, as we would say, was like the icing on the cake. Tara then spoke about returning to work for the Ocala, Florida Police Department after a very brief retirement and a very unique position that she has since taken on uh, to strengthen partnerships within the community. Okay, so um, initially when I had made the decision to go into the DROP program, um, for those of you that's not familiar with the DROP, basically it's a mandatory um, retirement. And at the end of your five-year DROP, you must vacate the building um, from that position. And because of the pension system and the way it's designed, you cannot come back in that capacity. So, and when I had made the decision to go into the drop, um, the chief at the time, I had talked with him and I shared with him that my mom was getting older and that my desire was to be able to take her, um, move her in with my husband and I and take her and have her live the rest of her life, her best life, um, and give her opportunities to do things that she wanted to do, but hadn't done. So, um, and while in that drop, in my third year, um, the Lord called my mom home, so she passed. Um, but I was able to bring her home with me, but she just wasn't in a position to travel as we had planned. So at that time, um, right before retirement, of course, you know, um, once you reach a certain level, everybody's like, hey, what are you going to do? We're hiring over here. What are you going to do? We're hiring over there. And um, I'm a believer. So for me, I, I told each person, you know, I, I don't know what I'm going to do, but I'm going to be wherever God would have me to be. And I said, so uh, I can't give any answers right now. And so then um, I told the chief, he was like, well, what do you see yourself doing? I said, chief, I already know that I'm going to be out in the community doing something, but I just don't know what it is that God's going to have me to do because he don't pour into you to go at this point in my life and take it to the house. So, and that's when the conversation was, well, you know, um, this job that I'm currently in, um, it was not um, anywhere in sight. And he was like, well, maybe you could do that here. Uh, we have since lost that chief, which was Chief Greg Graham. Um, but beyond after he had passed and at the end of my retirement, um, the new chief asked, was I still interested in staying, in which I agreed. So the position is titled Community Liaison, and basically my job is to bridge the gaps in the community between the police officers and the community. Um, and luckily for us, it's not that hard of a task because um, we've been doing the work that I'm doing now for a long time, but just not to the volume in which we're doing it now that we have an assigned person. So I do a lot of programs um, that... Um, 
that would require the officers to go out into the community and do different things. Um, so for an example, like tomorrow, uh, we have our annual hoops and badges. Um, I created that program last, last year. And basically our officers, they go into our inner city and they play basketball um, with the guys. Um, so what we learned is that the kids have a wonderful time and our officers, they really, really enjoy um, playing with the kids. And after the game last year, they were like, can we do this again? Can we do this again? Absolutely. So we have then since made it our um, our, our annual an annual event. <laughs> OK, so um, another program that um, I implemented is titled OPD Read, Read, Examine and Discover. So the officers, they go out. We find I find a location. I called them like, hey, I try to create these opportunities is what I do. And I'm like, um, is it OK? I would love for our officers to come over and um, have some conversations with your kids. We can bring our book reading program and the officers read a story. Um, we give the kids a book, whatever book the officer reads. We give them stickers. And I, all, I also have this one book that's titled Police Officers Are Your Friends. And so at every book reading, that book is always incorporated. And I had taken, um, we'll, we'll call it the housing area. So we, it was myself and two officers, and we were in one of the um, West community housing areas. And the officer was just in awe because once we got to the police officers are your friends, um, the kids, I always have them read after me, police officers, and they're yelling all the way across the neighborhood. And so the officer was like in awe that we were able to get a group of kids in the inner city to sit there and yell to all of their neighbors that we're their friends. And they love it. They And, and we'll play different games with them. Just anything that we can have them see the officers in a different light other than them just knocking at the door and there to um, do their job. So that's one of the things that we do. So another program. Um, so Tomorrow is Hoops and Badges. Saturday, we have um, a Juneteenth in the park. Anytime I see a flyer that there's something going on in the neighborhood, nine times out of 10, I'm going to reach out to that person and I'm like, hey, OPD would love to be a part of this. How can we be a part of it? So we will be there with a tent in the community at the um, annual Juneteenth in the park. Um, and I'll bring the explorers and I'll have a uniform officer with me. People come by. I'm going to take our cornhole board. Um, I had it wrapped in our OPD logos for a girl. It's really cute. Um, and people love to play the cornhole and, and the officers challenge the kids. It's just a great, another great opportunity um, that we have. And each year, um, last year it was called um, sliding in the park. And basically um, we got we were at one of the parks that's on one of our major highways so that people passing would see officers and community like line dancing in the park on a football field, unheard of. And so they're like, this is awesome. So of course that became an annual event, but this year we did it um, at one of our local um, inner city, um, it's called the at Krosky Center. So it's a community center for the kids. And I had, five officers and I had 
selected a student from each one of our high schools and I had them do like a basketball um, three-point challenge. So, and they got, they were awarded trophies. We had games set up. Um, we had some line dances. We just had a day of fun. So I changed the name from the um, OPD slide event to OPD's Community Fun Day because we wanted everybody to come, whether or not you dance, slide, not come, have a good time. You can play basketball, you can play cornhole, you can play tic-tac, you can box the ball, whatever you would like to do, we want you to come in and be a part with us just having a day of fun. So that was, um, that's, we always have a good time, um, you know, doing that. Um, also, one of the things that I created uh, was Thanksgiving and Christmas um, turkey giveaway. So this I must share. So each year, the city of Ocala, they give us each employee, every employee in the organization, they get a $30 check. And it's for you to do whatever you wish to do for Thanksgiving. Um, Thanksgiving holiday. Well, year before last, the now chief Balkan said to me, Tara, wouldn't it be nice if we can get the guys to donate that money back and we um, give it back to the community? He was like, what do you think we can do? I'm like, sir, we can buy dinners for the people. We can put them together. We can take them out. Um, and if you look at the slide, the bags that you have, the turkey is in that red container and the lunch, the meal is in that bag. So every year, the guys donate their monies back to the organization. We go shopping. Um, we feed 50 families. But here's the thing. We collect enough money to feed 50 families, full meals. I'm not talking about just the turkey. We do turkey, we do the pie, the drink, all of the sides. You see how huge that black bag is? All of the sides. We feed 50 at Thanksgiving. So then we had the leftover money. So I said to the chief, okay, so why don't we feed X number of families for Christmas and then do a stocking giveaway? He was like, what is that? And I said, we will go shopping. We will fill stockings for every uniformed officer, sworn and non-sworn, and their job is to just find someone in the community to bless with it. He was like, I love it. So that's what we did. We shopped. So now we have the stocking giveaway that we use with their money. Um, I put every officer's name on it, the to and from tag, me and some other helpers in, help, helpers in the department. We make a small bag that usually a stuffed animal go in. This year, we incorporated like a candy cane, uh, one of the big canes that's filled with candy. And the officers go out. They find someone to give that item to. And it they're just so tickled. And they ask every year, are we doing it again? Are we doing it again? They love this stuff. They love, the chief said, it seems like they're really buying into what you're doing. And I said, chief, they really are. I said, but you know, I'm so happy that they're happy. And when you're coming with me um, out in the community, it's not a day of let's badger the police or let's do this. It's a day of, hey, that's officer so-and-so. He's a nice guy. He's not the same guy that was at my house. He's a nice guy. Um, and I'm so then we also have what's called an OPD Secret Santa. Um, this program is funded by community donors. I don't know if you've seen it on our Facebook page or not. If not, look for it at Christmas. So the officers are given 
$300, three $100 bills, whatever number we give that person, your job is to find someone and give it to them. They do a traffic stop, but it has to be, I mean, they stopped them for a lawful reason. Let's say you rolled the stop sign and then stopped. So he pulled the person over and he'll say, um, do you know what? Yes, I didn't stop. No, ma'am, Merry Christmas. Oh my God, you know, and they give them a hundred dollar bill. So that's another program that we have. Um, and we do our OPD um, shop with a cop. We partner with our local Walmart and our fraternal order of police. Um, in years past, we did 10. Last year, we were able to do 23 students. We were able to take 23 kids out shopping with a cop and each person got $100 and to shop with, plus our partners purchase lunch for them to eat before shopping. And each kid was able to take home a meal to their families so that they would have th uh, Christmas dinner. Um, we also do what's called Faith in Blue Weekends. And basically it's whatever I can come up with. Last year, I decided that we have um, an elderly community, an elderly community that's behind one of our districts, um, West District Center. So I said to the officers, they're our neighbors, but we don't know them. So this year for our Faith in Blue weekend, we're going to partner with some of the local pastors and our chaplains, and we're going to go knock on every single door. And when they say police, I didn't need the police. We op they opened the door and we gave them a nice bottle that we had filled with nice little goodies. And they were like, oh, my God. So we did 50 houses that day. Um, and I don't know if you've had the opportunity to see um, on Facebook, the new Ocala Police Department Polar Patrol. That's like the newest thing going. We have an ice cream truck. Yes, we have an ice cream truck. The ice cream truck is wrapped in this beautiful wrap. You must go see it. Um, and we have a menu board that we put outside and there's always gonna be a person and a uniformed officer on that truck. And I recently purchased some labels, um, some magnets that I stick on the side that say free because we want our babies to run over to us uh, so that we can interact with them. We go into the neighborhood and we park the truck. Sometimes the guys can play football, basketball, um, just hand out the ice cream. But it's not just an ice cream truck. So we don't just stand and go here at your ice cream. We use that as an opportunity for us to engage the kids. Just wonderful. So if you get an opportunity, please check it out. It's really nice. So we would like to thank Tara Woods so much for joining the Leaders in the Industry webinar series. And we are so grateful to hear how much her St. Leo University education has benefited her throughout her law enforcement career. To wrap up this episode, I wanted to remind everyone to please check the show notes for this specific episode of the podcast to get links to the program pages for all of our criminal justice degree programs here at St. Leo University. We offer associate, bachelor's, master's, and even doctoral programs in criminal justice. And we offer a number of flexible options to meet the needs of both traditional college students along with adult learners. To hear more episodes of the St. Leo 360 podcast, visit stleo.edu forward slash podcast. 
To learn more about St. Leo's programs and services, call 877-622-2009 or visit stleo.edu.